couple of things I want to mention this morning. One is that uh, I received a note this morning from Diane Kleinsaucer that some friends that she grew up with, Sam and Lisa, lost their son Philip on Friday uh, in a tragic car accident. He was on his way home from work and was killed. He left behind a young wife, Geraldine, and a one-year-old son, Carter. And Diane asked us to pray about that this morning, so we're going to. We also, I want to lead us in prayer for Barb Zorn. Uh, I just talked to Gary a few moments ago, again, and uh, it's kind of like what we had put out in the email the last uh, day or so, and that is that Barb is just kind of waiting now. The surgeon who's going to be working on her brain surgery uh, is going to be, be, he's going to be back and ready to do that, not this week, but the next week. And so Monday or Tuesday, they're hoping of next week, perhaps, uh, brain will, uh, Barb will have brain surgery, and uh, this has to do with her aneurysm that has been there for quite some time. It's been um, affecting her life here recently as far as her ability to function, balance, strength. Uh, she's lost lots of weight. All kinds of things are going on there, and so this is a kind of a delicate, as you can imagine, complicated surgery, and we want to be praying and ask God to bless Barb and Gary. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, we do pray for this young family today. Uh, we pray for Sam and Lisa who have lost a son, Philip. And Father, we pray for Gerilyn and uh, Carter, their one-year-old. I just can't imagine uh, the loss they must feel right now and the pain. And so we pray that you would ease their burden and their pain. Uh, I pray, God, that you would be there for them in every possible way. And then, Father, we certainly pray your blessings on Barb in the coming week. I, I can imagine that this next week will be difficult as she is in a bit of a waiting game uh, for the surgeon to return and for them to prepare for the surgery. I'm sure there will be some anxious moments this week, and she's, probably, she's already tired of being in bed, and I'm sure another week of this is, is just going to be frustrating. So I pray that you'd be with her and with Gary and the rest of their family and give them peace and comfort regarding Bob's surgery. Barb's surgery, and Father, we pray so much that Barb would be uh, blessed in every way by your comfort and your peace and your healing. We pray that the surgery would go as well as it could possibly go, that you'd bring her back to full health. Pray that you would protect her through the surgery, that you'd be with uh, those who are involved in this every step of the way. We praise you for Gary and Barb and what they mean to us in our congregation, and, and just pray that we can be there, Father, for them in every way that we want to be. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week, we, we talked a bit about going deeper as disciples. And I actually suggested some things that we could do that would take us deeper. And this morning, we want to do that again. I want to look at, at some of these. We're talking really about discipleship and the devotions of the heart this morning. Last week, we kind of addressed these kinds of questions and and I, I hope that somebody maybe did something with these this week. What did Jesus do to go deeper? What did David do to go deeper? And we looked at David specifically because he was a man after God's own heart. And then we asked the question about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It said that the disciples were doing certain things that caused them to live a deeper kind of life in Jesus than what we sometimes do. So if we looked at Jesus this week, I think there were some advantages to us. We would have gone deeper into what the Lord wants us to be. I hope you did that. I hope somebody went home this week and said, you know what? I'm going to look at something from the Gospels that will tell me something about how Jesus went deeper. And what are the kind of questions that Jesus asked 
of others? What kind of relationships did he have with others? What kind of things did he do in, in relationship with his father? These kind of things will take us deeper into him. And I think these are important questions. And so if you did that, you probably grew some. Well, this week, I want to go a little bit deeper in a different direction, maybe, in terms of devotional life as disciples. What does it mean for us to have some kind of devotional life before the Lord? Now, usually when this question is asked about devotional life, we tend to go here. We tend to talk about daily quiet time, taking 10, 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour or something, and saying, I'm going to set aside some, some time for the Lord today, just God and me. That's what, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about devotional time. The other thing that we often talk about are the spiritual disciplines. So what do you do when you're in that 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it is that you t- spend with the Lord, what do you do in the midst of that? And so we often talk about things like praying, talk about study, meditation. Uh, we might expand that list into things like worship or sacrificial service, giving, righteousness, living simply. I remember when Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline came out, and I read that book, and, I, and one of the chapters in there is on simplicity. And I thought, boy, this is interesting. I hadn't thought about living simply before the Lord, but he said that was a spiritual discipline. I think he's right about that. And what I want to say this morning about these two things, which are very good and very valuable and which we need to do, is that although I appreciate these, there's a sense in which I think that they're inadequate. I'm not sure they really complete the picture of what it means to be a disciple. And it's kind of like this. We had two fishermen up here a while ago. One of them was not doing too badly. The other one was struggling a bit. And my sense is that when you're fishing, and I have done some fishing, it's a good thing to have the right tackle. Good thing to have a good rod, nice to have a good reel, have the right line weight, all those kind of things. But there are some other things you have to think about when you go fishing. Like you might actually think about where the sun is in the sky at the moment that you're fishing. When we fished on the West Coast, we fished salmon. We always noticed that the salmon hit our, you know, hit our bait when the sun was in a certain position. And if the fish was heading into the sun or away from the sun, it made a huge difference. Well, we tended to take our boat then in, in the same direction, away from or to the sun. Well, you might want to think about what kind of water temperature you've got, where you are. There's all kinds of things that could be there in addition to what kind of tackle you've got. So spiritual disciplines and daily quiet time are important. They're not the whole thing. There are some other things, I think, that need to be considered if we're going to be the kind of fishermen or, in this case, the kind of disciples that God wants us to be. In playing hockey, some of which you've done. I, you know, I didn't grow up where there was hockey. I, you know, I, can't, I know this sounds crazy to some of you Canadians, but I can't skate backwards. can't do it. I try. I just fall over myself. Uh, you know, I remember years ago, Ryan, my son, we, I'd take him down to do hockey early in the morning, and, and they had a father and son skate, and I went out, and I kind of puttered around on the ice, I eventually fell, hurt my back, I was incapacitated for two years, you know, couldn't do anything, because I can't skate. Well, when you're a hockey player, one of the things you have to make sure of is that you can skate. That's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. If a team concentrates only on offense, they'll be good, but they won't be as good as they would be if they also worked on the power play. And we know this in Calgary Flames land. They sometimes don't have as good a power play as they should. So there are some things that go along with having good skates. There are some things that go along with having a good stick or having the right hand stick, left or right or whatever. 
we got to have everything kind of put together in order for us to really do things well. And so today, in addition to thinking about things like daily quiet time, the spiritual disciplines, I want us to look at four things that I think are really important as foundational ideas to discipleship and devotions. And, and most of you kind of know what I mean when I say the devotional life. But I want to expand a little bit on the notion of the devotional life today. And hopefully you'll see that it means a little bit more perhaps than what we sometimes think. And first I want to ask this question. What is the devotional life other than the life considered and devoted to God and God's will? And the point is simply this. You can go through all kinds of spiritual disciplines. You can have the greatest quiet time in the morning that you ever want to have. But if you haven't thought much about what it means to really be devoted to God and to his will, then I'm not sure you're really heading in the direction of the devotional life that God wants you to achieve. In fact, I might substitute something like devotional life simply with the word godliness. You know, we tend to think in terms of godliness, we tend to think in terms of right behavior. I'm being godly when I'm not sinning a whole lot. But it could be that godliness is more than just whether or not I am sinning. Godliness could be a whole direction and frame and tenor of life. There's a theologian I sometimes read named T.F. Torrance, and Torrance says this, godliness is a right relationship with God through faith, which gives a distinctive slant to the mind and molds life and thought in accordance with the word and truth of the gospel. I want you to just mull on that for a moment. Godliness is not just the way you live, not specific behaviors. It's a right relationship with God through faith, which gives a distinctive slant. That's a, that's a nice word or a nice phrase there. A distinctive slant to the mind and then molds life and thought in accordance with the word and truth of the gospel. I like that. It's kind of comprehensive. And what it tells me is that devotional life is not just a set of practices. It is a lifestyle or a mindset seeking after God. And so I want us to first get away from, if we're talking about the devotional life, get away from just the notion of daily quiet time and the spiritual disciplines. Those are good, and those definitely need to be part of what we're doing. But first of all, I just want to say, do we have this mindset that's seeking after God? Do we have the notion of godliness in our minds where we say, you know what? I want to be godly. I want to be God's man. I want to be God's woman. Is that who we are this morning? That's a question we need to ask. The second thing I want to kind of focus on is this. That being a disciple, one who is devoted to Christ, entails longing to be a devoted disciple. One who has it in their heart to really seek after him. Remember last week, I, I said earlier, in fact today, that one of the people that we need to focus on if we're going to be what God wants us to be is David. One of the reasons that I love focusing on David is because he was this man who had longed after God's own heart. And so we say, see David say things like this, as the deer pants for streams of water. And by the way, I don't think that Jonathan and I even collaborated on the fact that we we're going to sing that this morning. It just fits. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And I love that last question. When can I go and meet with God? There's just a craving on the heart of the person who seeks after Christ, that they want to go and they want to meet with God. Whether it's in a sanctuary, or worship, or it's with a a dinner with friends who are talking about the Lord, or it's in a life group, or it's by yourself somewhere, when can I go and meet with God? Our hearts just crave after that. And then these words from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water my soul longs god for you and i want you to ask this morning whether or not that's you is that you because i'm afraid that for a lot of us it's not us that instead of finding ourselves longing after God, longing after being in His presence, longing after talking to Him, instead of longing for those things, we tend to get so distracted. And you know this as well as I do. Just because I'm the preacher and I spend more time here at the building with spiritual folks and thinking about spiritual things, as a part of work, doesn't mean that this just comes automatically to me all the time either. I, I can get distracted. And God wants us to have this sense where we're longing after Him, as if in a dry and parched land, needing so badly to just have the Lord be there for us. And so is that me? I need to be like this, in the same way that you need to be like this. The memory verse this week here in our church just happens to be this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what what does it say at the end? So they may be filled. Filled. There are so many ways in which we long for fulfillment in our lives. And we don't reach it. We don't get it. And all the while, Jesus is saying, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think righteousness here again is not just this, well, do I do all the right things? It's this attitude of life. It's a, a, a place where you're possessed by God and a desire for Him. If you desire God in your life, if you seek after Him with all of your heart, there's this fulfillment that comes to us that doesn't come in any other way. You know, in the Bible class time, if you were here a little while ago, Andy, Stan, Andy Stanley said this. He said, He's talking about people seeking after God and wondering whether or not God exists. And he says, this is not about God's existence. It's about my resistance. And I think this is the same way. Do I seek after him or is there a part of me that simply resists? And maybe you resist passively. Just allowing yourself to be distracted by all kinds of things that prevent you from seeking after Him the way that God wants you to seek after Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know the way in which we get distracted most often, I think, in our world? It's this. It's accumulation. It's people 
focusing on the things that they can try to accumulate. And here's what I think is true. Accumulation does not lead to satisfaction. In fact, I liked that so much that I wrote it twice. Accumulation does not lead to satisfaction. And I could say it again and again and again and again. And it always is true. Accumulation does not lead to satisfaction. You know, one of the things that's unfortunate about people who come here from other countries, they come to Canada and they see Canada as a land of opportunity, which it is. But then they think when they come here that because it's the land of opportunity, it's also the land of accumulating. And some of you come here thinking, I come to the land of opportunity and now I can accumulate where before I couldn't. Well, good luck in being satisfied with your new accumulation because it's not going to work. Those of us who've been around for a while in a place where we can accumulate all we want, we guarantee you, we promise you, it does not work. But we keep trying. It's our MO. And all the while, Jesus is saying things to us like this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be given to you. And when he says all these things, we, some people have, I've, I've read people, commentators who've said, well, that means that we get everything that we desire. And of course it doesn't mean that. It just means that when you seek First, his kingdom, all the needs that you think are going to be fulfilled by all those things you accumulate, that's what happens. You end up being fulfilled. Now, I don't need so many things to fulfill me. I don't need to accumulate things because God has filled the void. He's given me all the things that I need in himself when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so one of the things that we focus on today is just the fact that we need to long to be devoted to Him, to seek Him first. And there's something that comes to us in seeking Christ that simply doesn't come any other way. Here's a third thing that being this kind of disciple means in this day focused on devotion. It means devotional training. And this is interesting because several times in Scripture we see different ways, different metaphors that discuss the notion of training or being brought along by God. For example, this one. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. What's the metaphor or what's the, the style here of being brought along? What's the image that we have? Somebody tell me. Education. Yeah, it's all about education here. There is some training that can be done. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. And the question for some of us, I think, is, are we fully trained? Are we taking the opportunities to learn? There's some education that can go on here. Look at this passage from Hebrews 5. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, and watch this language, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In other words, to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. There's constant use there that has made it possible for us to do this kind of determination and then to live accordingly. Do you know what muscle memory is? 
Muscle memory, you know what that is? Cal, Cal Holgren's sitting over here. Recently, Cal and I did a workout thing together. He just beat me to a pulp in a, in a workout because, like, I'm 58 and Cal's, like, 12. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, he jumps up on things that are high and he punches a bag really fast and he does all kinds of things. And by the, you know, I was just sore as could be for about three days afterwards. Well, one of the things I know that Cal could talk about is the notion of muscle memory. In fact, to put you on the spot, my friend, just because you made me feel so sore that day, what, what is muscle memory? Okay. Yeah, you don't even think about it. Pretty soon, muscles just do what they're supposed to do without you even thinking about it all because you've done it so many times. It's like when you're driving your car. How many of you drive standards still? Maybe not tons, but some of you still have a standard, right? How many of you, as you're driving your standard car, think to yourself, it's now time for me to put the clutch on. Hmm, I better take my leg out and put put my foot up there on the clutch and press that down before I shift gears. Does anybody ever think that process through before they do it? No, never. How many of you think, well, it's time for me to go from second to third. So, let's see, I got to do this right. I'm going to push the clutch in. Now it's time for me to move the gear shift lever. Okay. I'm halfway there. Almost got it. Okay. Now I can let the clutch out. Do we do that? No, you don't think about that process at all. Why? Because there's a muscle memory, mental memory kind of thing going on. And by constant use, you've trained yourself in this case to switch the gears, but in life, Through constant use, we start to become what God wants us to be. We develop the habits of the spiritual heart, not just the habits of the heart. God's spirit trains us, and there's a kind of spiritual memory that becomes ours as we become what God wants us to be. Well, there's another image, at least one, besides training or teaching that goes on to talk about the notion of the disciple. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We work out. And we work out in productive, positive ways. Look at this passage. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And it only makes sense that if we're going to be what God wants us to be, to have the devoted life, that part of what it means to be devotional is to train ourselves. You can't just get there. Olympic athletes don't just wake up one day and go win gold medals. Most valuable players on a baseball team don't just wake up one day, grab a bat, walk out, and start swinging it and hit home runs. It takes some focus. It takes some effort. And we shouldn't think that the same thing isn't true of our spiritual lives. It is true. God wants us to be allowing ourselves to be trained by him to become what he wants us to be. The fourth thing that's important today for a devotional life in him, and I think this is actually the most profound thing that we're going to talk about this morning, 
And that is simply the mystery of godliness or the devotional life is, that's not a typo, is Christ. I want you to look at this passage with me. This is fascinating. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Okay, let me just flip away from that so you can't read the rest. Okay? The mystery of true godliness is great, he says. And you think he's about to tell us about the system or the method or the steps. How is it that we're going to be the person that God wants us to be? How is it God is going to train us and bring us along? Where is this true devotional life resting? So we're about to read the method, we think. But then he doesn't give us a method. Watch what he gives us instead. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Does he give us there a list of things to do? When he talks about the mystery of godliness, does he give us at this point careful instruction? Those have a place. The spiritual disciplines have a place. But what is it that he gives us right here? Church, Jesus. He simply gives us Jesus. He appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And the point is, is that when you focus on, when you're attached to, when you center on who Jesus is, something happens within you. Godliness becomes part of who you are when Jesus becomes part of who you are. When your attention is on Him all of a sudden, you become what God wants you to be. In my Bible this week, I, I was flipping through reading various passages, and I, I was reading this one, actually, looked at my own Bible, and in the margin, it says, Kelly, for you to be what God wants you to be, focus on Jesus. Because that, in itself, is godliness. And he's right. And this is, in fact, the most profound thing this morning. It's important to focus on spiritual disciplines. It's important to have a quiet time. It's important to do spiritual training. All those things are important. But there isn't anything as important as simply asking, am I set on Christ? Is my mind on Jesus? Do I recognize the importance of Christ to me? Intentional avoidance of the things of this world and a turning towards God so that we set our time, our thought, our behavior, our priorities, our efforts, and our words, and everything on Christ is the source of godliness for us. You know, this week, some of you will sit down. Maybe this will happen tonight. Maybe it will happen tomorrow. You're going to sit down and you're going to make a list of all your priorities for the, for the week or for the day. Your goals. You're thinking, well, if I'm going to get anything accomplished this week, I need to make some goals. So I sit down and I'm going to write out the things I'm going to get accomplished. Or the tasks that you have to do. And here's what I want you to do this week as you sit down to write that list. Because you're going to do it. Or maybe nowadays you'll just punch it onto your phone. As you do it, I want you to, to at the very start, of that or in the maybe the 
at the end, if it doesn't matter, write down that you are going to this week or on this day, first of all, be devoted to Christ. First, before you do anything else, because you're going to make that list. And I want you, when you make it, to remember that somebody said to you, when I make my list this week, I need to be thinking about who Jesus is. Because it's only in thinking about who Jesus is and what he means to you that you're going to be able to have the devotional life that God wants you to have. And study and prayer and meditation and simplicity and service and reflection, all of these things will be responses to this initial decision that you make to say, I'm going to put Christ first, I'm going to look to Him. So where is it then that your mind will turn this week when you sit down to make your list of priorities or your list of goals or your tasks, the things you're going to do? Can you put Jesus at the top of that list in a very intentional, specific way and allow that to direct who you are devotionally the rest of the week. I want you to do that. And I think God will bless you as you do. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray that this week people make lists. And as they make lists of the things that they're going to do, the goals that they have, the things they want to achieve, Father, I pray you'd help them to put you right at the top Put following Jesus right at the top and let that be the guiding principle that dictates everything else that they do throughout the rest of the week. And I pray that in the course of that, that we will find ourselves devoting more time, more of our hearts to you. Help this week our lives, God, to be devoted to you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.